Welcome to Days of Roar, your Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorash. I am here with Tigers beat writer Evan Petzold, who is camped out in Scottsdale, Arizona, checking out the Tiger prospects and getting ready for the GM meetings out there. Ev, how's the desert? The desert is warm. I will tell you that. 92 degrees today. So for everybody back home listening, I'm definitely enjoying the sun. I'm not going to be able to bring any back with me. I don't think it works that way. But if I could, I would. But no, it's been a good trip so far. I mean, just being able to check out different prospects that the Tigers have in their organization. And it's really all about getting to talk to those guys and getting to understand them a little bit more. And it definitely provides for a much better setting than like a Zoom call because there's ways to maybe maneuver some of that. But just to be able to get here, be here, talk to these guys in person, meet some of these guys even for the first time and, you know, take 20 minutes to sit down and talk to them and and really get to dig into, you know, where they're at in their development, where they want to go and also where they've been in in some cases too. So a lot of good things happening there. World Series. I mean, that was just, I mean, the atmosphere down here was amazing, you know, with the Diamondbacks being in the World Series against the Rangers. The last three games of the World Series were at Chase Field here in Phoenix. I was able to write a good story that, that kind of explain some of the similarities between the philosophies of the Tigers right now and the philosophies of the Diamondbacks. I think there are some things there that, you know, bode well for the Tigers. And I I wrote this from the story, like it doesn't mean the Tigers are going to be a World Series team next year, but I think they could, you know, jump ahead of kind of industry expectations and maybe make a push for the playoffs. Part of that has to do with the AL Central. Part of that has to do with the philosophy and the way in which they're being built with so many young players already in the organization. But the Rangers won the World Series. Team that spent a bunch of money ended up making it happen and winning the crown. So a lot of things going on. GM meetings coming up. So that'll be interesting. Those start on Monday. Scott Harris is going to talk on Tuesday. So, you know, everyone needs to be ready for next week's episode because there's going to be a lot to touch on there. Roster moves coming Monday. Like I said, Harris goes on Tuesday. It's a busy time right now for the Tigers. Well, seems like you've been doing a lot of things. A great win for the Rangers. I do think that, you know, looking at the Diamondbacks should give all the Tigers fans hope that it's never too far away from catching lightning lightning in a bottle. And both these two teams lost over 100 games as recently as 2021. So as we transition to that, let's try to jump into... The big two. And of course, question one of the big two, we had uh, a little acquisition in the past few days. Explain to me the Mark Canna trade, the club option, what it really means, which is really not a lot, and uh, why the Tigers wanted them. Yeah, it's interesting jumping into to that as question one of the big two. I kind of recapped everything that's been going on while I've been down here. And that was everything I planned to do. And then, you know, the Tigers end up making a move and they make a trade for Mark Canna, who's, you know, a big league veteran. He's an outfielder. He's going to be entering his age 35 season. Kind of from the onset of that deal, it was like, okay, why do the Tigers really want Mark Canna and, and how does he really fit? To me, at the onset, right when I saw it, I said, okay, this doesn't really make a ton of sense. Then you dig a little bit deeper into it, and it started to make a lot of sense for me. So that happens on Saturday. Mark Hanna is known for elite swing decisions. He has a selective approach. He reinvented his approach in 2018 during the All-Star break. We can get into more of that later. But the Tigers make the deal with the Brewers. 
They're giving up minor league reliever Blake Holub, who seems like a pretty good pitcher. He was a guy they got in the 15th round back in 2021. Uh, shout out Ryan Garko for you know, his staff with player development, you know, getting Blake Holub to, to kind of reach a level where, okay, now he is this tradable prospect that the Tigers feel like they can part ways with. They do have a lot of pitching assets, both, you know, on the starting pitching side and in the relief pitching side. So the Tigers make the deal. Now the deal comes with an $11.5 million club option. The Brewers were planning to decline that club option, but the club option comes with a $2 million buyout. So instead of paying Mark Canna $2 million, the Braves leveraged, you know, what Mark Canna is and how he could maybe help teams that could use an on-base boost and swung a deal with the Tigers. Therefore, the Brewers don't have to pay the $2 million buyout. They get a prospect and the Tigers get an outfielder in Mark Canna. So that's kind of how everything goes down. The real reason the Tigers wanted to get him was because he's an on-base machine, to quote Scott Harris. He talked about him very highly and... We'll see. I mean, I think he kind of fits their puzzle for 2024. He doesn't really fit beyond that. But again, that's kind of the nature of a guy with an $11.5 million club option. 2024 is the final year of his contract. So after next season, he becomes a free agent. I don't think he is a long-term piece, but I do think he can be an impactful player in 2024. Well, I mean, obviously, Mark Kane has been on three teams in the last 12 months. He is a useful player. He is essentially... Robbie Grossman, improved version, better hitter, similar power. That's what I said. I told, I texted yeah. you that. I said, kind of reminds yep. me of Robbie Grossman. Yeah, not a great defender, but not a bad defender. Has some first base versatility in addition. A really, really useful player. I've been on the J.D. Martinez train. This ends any hope that that happens. But I think in many ways, Marcana fits a lot of what I hope J.D. Martinez would fit without the power. And, you know, the power was a huge part of why I wanted to see them go after J.D.M. But I also think Mark Cano will be a good mentor for these hitters. Great approach. Good at bad every time out. He's going to play a lot. Really, really good against left-hand pitching. Good again. You know, he's, he's going to be in there a lot. He's a 500 at bat player and is a player they could deal if they uh, end up having a dismal 2024, and, you know, I they could flip at the deadline. So it's pretty low risk for the Tigers. They gave up a relief arm. They have a lot of relief arms. Hollow probably can't contribute, but, you know, there's four or five guys behind them. So I wish Blake a lot of luck. And, you know, as far as, you know, what it does to the Tiger pitching depth, probably not a lot. So, well, here, here's what I do have to say about the differences between Robbie Grossman and Mark Hanna is I do think just from talking to Mark Hanna and hearing a little bit about who he is, what he's about, how he wants to impact the Tigers is Robbie Grossman isn't like a leader in the way that I think Mark Hanna can be a leader. I think Mark Hanna is a guy that is going to get in that clubhouse and he's going to go about his business the way that he goes about his business. And I think guys are kind of going to naturally latch on to that. Robbie Grossman, when he came to Detroit, was more of this guy who, okay, yes, he's going to draw walks. He's going to get on base, has some of those same, you know, similar qualities that Mark Canna has, but Robbie Grossman was a little bit different. He wasn't looking to like lead a group or he wasn't looking to mentor players at that point in his career. He was looking to find somewhere where he could stick and he could fit. And sure, like you did see Riley Green, you know, latch on to Robbie Grossman a little bit, right? Like we saw that in spring training, which was good. But like Robbie Grossman wasn't that same guy as Mark Canna is going to be with the Tigers. 
the Tigers, I mean, the big thing that they hope for is that Mark Hanna is going to get in here and really impact the young players. And it all goes back to his approach and the way in which he goes about his his at-bats. I mean, he really struggled early in his career. He was basically either like a home runner strikeout kind of guy. That's what he thought he was. He decided to decrease his swing rate and his swing rate dropped significantly from 2018, you know, on moving forward. And it's kind of hovered around that 40% swing rate range. And even think about a guy like Spencer Torkelson as, as a former number one overall pick, the guy hit 31 home runs, but he had a below average 25% strikeout rate. He also had a 46.3% swing rate. So what happens maybe if Torkelson decreases the swing rate a little bit? What if he's a little bit more selective? What if he's hunting that certain pitch in that certain spot every single time? And if he doesn't get it, then he draws his walk. And that's going to then force pitchers to, you know, then gravitate towards, you know, the area that he likes to hit from to avoid the walks. Like, so uh, again, I, I think there are some things that guys can pick up from Marcana that, you know, you're probably not going to pick up from Robbie Grossman. And you might not have those same conversations with Grossman that you're going to be able to have with Canna. So that's why the Tigers traded for him. It's it's not only Torkelson, it's all these young players that they have coming up. That's going to help set their foundation. And I think it could be huge for them moving forward. Like we could see, maybe it's Colt Keith, maybe it's Torkelson, you know, maybe it's a, a Parker Meadows, you know, years down the road saying, yeah, you know, Mark Canna was really big for me when I was coming up in the big leagues. I think that's everything that the Tigers want him to be. And then you go about any, but then Mark, you look at the production and I know you mentioned JD Martinez. I got to throw this at you. Mark Hanna, from 2018 to 2023, he's had a .364 on-base percentage. That ranks 23rd among 155 players with at least 2,000 plate appearances in those seasons. That's ahead of Jose Ramirez, J.D. Martinez, Max Muncy, Corey Seager, Brian Reynolds, Matt Olson, Trey Turner, Nolan Arnato, Rafael Devers, Carlos Correa, the list goes on and on. That's a 364 OBP, ranking 23rd among 155 players from 2018 to 23. So, Canada does get on base, got on base at a .355 clip last year, and let's not candy coat it any other way. Tigers need more base runners. He didn't score enough runs last year. So, my guess is, you know, he's going to hit in the top six in the lineup, maybe as high as two. You can't hit the ball out of the park in a decent addition. I think the way I explained my feeling about this particular transaction is if this is the primary transaction you make for 2024, I probably need to go down there and slap somebody. If this is one of three or four things and this is the third or fourth most prominent thing they did, then... We know that we're headed in the right direction, and there's a chance that this particular front office is serious about trying to win. So it's a horrible free agent class. You can be selective and make some additions in areas that you need. You're going to have to make some trades. You have some tradable players, and this kind of segues us into question two of the big two which is what does Mark Canna's addition mean for players like Akil Badu, Matt Veerling, Justin Henry Malloy, that in Justin Henry Malloy is somebody that you and I have had our own internal discussions and arguments about for three days now. But tell me what your thinking is about how it affects these kind of players and how it may impact these GM meetings. And I discuss trades and 
maybe this helps facilitate facilitate some trades. Yeah, I know everyone wants to listen to us argue. So can we both just quickly agree that the Tigers are probably going to shop Akil Badu really hard and, and try to get him uh, packaged into a trade in some way, shape, or form this offseason, right? Like that makes total sense. And then we can, you know, kind of dig in on Beerling and, and Malloy. Oh, I don't think there's any question that they're going to shop Akil Badu. I don't you think have they're to. Get, I don't think they're going to give him away, but let, let's remember something. You know, the way teams trade, teams always look for skills and think that they can optimize skillful players or skills or, or players that possess skills better than the team that had them. Tigers are no different. Akil Badu can run. He can hit for power. He can steal bases. And he's not old and he hits left-handed. There will be plenty of interest in Akil Badu. The question is, what can you get back for him? And I think you and I have discussed this many times. Probably a piece that's part of a bigger trade is where you're really going to be able to leverage the value of Akil Badu as opposed to him as, you know, the primary piece of a trade. So, but yeah, so Kilbadu is is going to get shopped. I think Matt Manning is going to get shopped. I think there are some pitching arms that'll at least they will be willing to discuss as part of bigger parts of trades. But yeah, so Kilbadu is definitely on the trade block. For sure. I mean, I, I think it's almost a no-brainer at this point. I mean, you have way too many left-handed hitting outfielders. Now you've added Mark Canna to the mix. There's just, there's not room for him. And if for some reason you can't move him, then he's just going to end up, you know, playing corner outfield in AAA for, you know, most of the season until there's an an injury, if there even is one. So I think Akil Badu is definitely going to be on the move. Like, I I think that's almost a no-brainer at this point. And I think it's it's a great trade piece. Same with Matt Manning. I think you package those two together, and there are a lot of teams out there that are going to look at those two players and say, wow, I think we can optimize those guys and make them better. They're young. They've done enough good things where, you know, they're relevant in this league. But at this point, like, they're just kind of running out of steam with the Tigers, and I'm sure other teams are going to want to take a crack at getting the most out of them. As for Matt Veerling and Justin Henry Malloy, let's start with Matt Veerling. I think he's on the opening day roster regardless. I think this just means that he probably plays more third base. I envision Spencer Torkelson at first base, Cole Keith at second base, Javier Baez at shortstop, and then Matt Veerling at third base. I think Andy Abanez fits in the rotation. I think it's a, really a rotation of Matt Veerling, Andy Abanez, and Colt Keith at second and third base. So you're going to see... You know, so Andy Abanez and Cole Keith the second. You're going to see Andy Abanez and Matt Veerling at third base. I think Andy Abanez has earned that type of usage. But, you know, the Tigers moved Matt Veerling to third base at the end of last season and played him there quite a bit for a reason. And there's there's no way he doesn't make the opening day roster. I don't think, you know, Mark Canna blocks him in any way. Um, I do think he's still going to play some outfield at times in a pinch if needed, but I think they're really committed to making this third base thing, you know, the real deal for Matt Veerling, at least in 2024. I think that I agree 100% with you. I think that, you know, Matt Veerling playing as much third base as he did the last 60 days of the year was no accident. At the same time, when you compare and contrast Andy Abanez and Matt Veerling, I am hoping that, you know, it's pretty hard to deny how well Andy Abanez played after June 1st, especially relative to Matt Verling, who hit three home runs after June 16th. So I think everybody knows my feeling about Matt Verling. 
And, you know, there's no need for me to rehash this and rant about it. I just hope the manager wisely makes a choice to play the better player. So and that's you know. what it's going to come down to. And I think we know AJ Hinch well enough to know, I, I, all fans do, right? Everybody, whether it's me as a reporter, you as somebody who watches every single game or, you know, fans out there on Twitter, like I, I think they know well enough that AJ Hinch is going to play the guy that's going to get the job done and is going to help him win ball games. And if that turns out to be Andy Ibanez, Andy Ibanez is going to get more opportunities. Like if, if he deserves more opportunities, he's going to get more opportunities. I firmly believe that, you know, AJ Hinch is a guy who's going to put his foot down in favor of the wins, right? Like the, the, the guy wants to win as do all the players. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But I do see that kind of, you know, three-way revolving door of Matt Veerling, Andy Ibanez and Colt Keith handling the second and the third base positions while Torkelson handles first and Javier Baez handles shortstop. The one that I'm sure we're going to disagree on, though, is Justin Henry Malloy, what the Mark Canna addition means for him. Personally, I don't think it really means a whole lot for Justin Henry Malloy. I think he still makes the opening day roster. That's my opinion. I'm speculating there. But again, the guy, the guy spent so much time in AAA Toledo, and you look at his numbers with the Mud Hens, it, it, it's almost... It seems crazy to even say, okay, yeah, this guy's not ready. Like, I, I don't really... I mean, I understand maybe from a defensive standpoint, but the guy hit 277 with a 417 on base percentage and an 890 OPS with 23 home runs. I mean, he had 110 walks in 136 games. So I, I understand if you don't like the defense, because I don't like the defense either from what I've seen. But if Kerry Carpenter can fix his defense and clean it up, I think Justin Henry Malloy can too. I think Mark Hanna, more than anything, just protects Malloy. It, it, it means that Malloy doesn't have to be an everyday guy from the time he steps foot through the door coming out of spring training, he doesn't have to play every game. He can take time to work on his defense. He can slide in the DH spot. He can get at bats and get comfortable. I just don't really know what more he can do at the play at the AAA level. Like there's, there's really nothing else for him to prove. It all comes down to his defense now. And so if you want to stick him in Toledo and have him continue to work on his defense, you know, kind of behind the scenes like that, fine. But at the same time, you got to throw the guy in the fire. And I think there's probably no one better to, to do it with than with a guy like Mark Hanna playing ahead of you, knowing that you're going to be able to sit the bench and you don't have to be you know relied upon every single day to be a corner outfielder in the big leagues. Let me do a little math for you. So I'll quickly you know disagree with you and say that I give Justin Henry Malloy less than a five percent chance of breaking camp with the Tigers unless there's an injury. And let's do a little math. You typically carry how many bench players? Four, right? So one of those is going to be a backup catcher, so it's down to three. And if the starting outfield is Parker Meadows, Riley Green, and Kerry Bonds Carpenter in right, and the DH is Mark Canna, because Mark Canna is playing before Justin Henry Malloy. I don't think that's even something we're going to argue, are we? Then it means there's three position players on the bench. And I think two of those guys, let's see, you're going to have a platoon. There might be a spot for him, but I still don't think he's going to play. So you got McKinstry, you got Veerling. I don't know about McKinstry, but. Well, you got McKinstry is going to be the left-handed platoon at third base. The right-handed side of the platoon is either going to be Veerling or Abanez. Okay, because that's going to who's breaking camp at third base. 
a platoon at third base of a righty and a lefty. Okay. And, you know, I, I think Justin Henry Malloy as a defender is basically a statue. He, he, what position does Justin Henry Malloy play major league defense at? Yeah. And if Mark Hanna is going to be prioritized at bats in between Kerry Carpenter and Mark Hanna, you're going to take up DH in right field. Where's Justin Henry Malloy playing? So you're not bringing a guy to sit there and gather moss. He's going to be in Toledo getting at bats. But those are meaningless at-bats. At this point, it really just comes down to defense, doesn't it? I mean, really, like you, you've seen the offensive numbers. I think you know that they're good. I think you know that this is a guy that is going to be able to put up a quality at-bat in the major leagues. That's what the Tigers need more of. I, I, don't, I, I, I mean, I, just, I don't see any way that he's in Toledo. I, I don't think you can justify it at this point. And if they do, they're going to try to justify it, but I just don't, I don't see it. I think you can, okay. you know, call defense all you want, but at the same time, we saw Kerry Carpenter learn how to play defense, you know, doing it at the big league level, and he wasn't playing every single day. So, and then he worked into he worked himself into that role. He became serviceable at the corner outfield spot. So, like, look, I, I get it, I understand. I, I don't. I also don't really buy into the whole Zach McKinstry thing. He doesn't have any options left. I think that was a. I think that was a fun little May for him. And then after that, it, it, it all fizzled out. And Andy Abanez does pretty good against both righties and lefties. Beerling's obviously, you know, one side of that platoon. But I, I don't think that you need to have a left-handed hitter, you know, to play third base. I, I think you can bounce back and forth with the combination of, like I said, Abanez, Veerling, and Colt Keith. Knowing, too, that Colt Keith is left-handed hitter as well. And he has experience at third base. I know he had the shoulder injury and it'd probably be nice to have him play more second base than third base, but I don't think that that means that he just can't play third base anymore. So I think there's enough options to be able to get Malloy on the roster. I do get your point about just like, you know, what's the point of bringing him up if you're not even going to play him, but I do think it eases him in. And I think that could be pretty valuable for a young player like him. Well, I, I think from a speed standpoint and, you know, an athletic standpoint, Kerry Carpenter is a much better athlete than Justin Henry Malloy. I mean, and it probably has a better arm on top of it. So, I mean, there's a reason why Kerry Carpenter improved in the outfield is he had some raw skills and they polished him a little bit. Do I think Justin Henry Malloy can get better enough at a defensive position to help somebody? Yeah, the position's probably first base. Might be able to play a semi-serviceable left field at some point, but I think the Tigers, barring another injury, have a left fielder. So, you know, it, it and, and I told you, I, I was, I'm open to the idea of spinning Justin Henry Malloy in a trade, in an asset trade, to get something back that can be useful for the Tigers. But at the same time, one of my favorite teams to look to try and pillage because they're just so horrible at trading lately is the Oakland A's, soon to be the Las Vegas A's. They have a few players that I like, and I look to try to figure out a way how to spin Justin Henry Malloy to the A's because he's a perfect A's player. He walks and he, he's cheap, you know, et cetera. And meanwhile, their DH is Brett Rooker. He hit 28 homers and made the all-star team. So, you know, it's, I just think that sometimes we overvalue our own prospects. And, you know, it's not that I don't think Jahan has skills. I just think the skills are 
less marketable than we think. I mean, you know, obviously, when we discussed it last week, Anthropolis signed Joe Jimenez to a $26 million three-year deal for a guy that pitches the seventh and eighth inning for him 60 times a year. So I don't think he's unhappy that he gave up Justin Henry Malloy, are you? Well, I'm sure he's not missing him, but... You know, that, that that's my point. I think but you know what? But if Malloy ends up, you know, becoming a serviceable corner outfielder and, you know, the guy is putting up similar numbers to what he's doing. I mean, if the guy's hitting 250 with a three to 360 on base percentage and 20 home runs, then that's a little bit of a different story, I think. Like if that's kind of how he comes out of the gate and that's how he establishes himself in his first year or two in the big leagues, if you're the Tigers, you feel really good about that as long as he can handle a corner outfield spot. And, and I think he can. I think he can. I think it's way too soon. I mean, this guy is 23 going on 24, and we're already writing him off because of his defense. Like, there's no way he's going to be a DH only. That's not going to happen. Not at this point in his career. He's going to have to learn how to play the outfield. And I, I just, I don't, I think he's like going to be able to do that. I just, I just don't think that, you know, he's never going to learn how to play a defensive position. Third base, probably not. But, you know, can he stand out there in the outfield and make a play? I, I think so. You're going to, yeah, we're going to find out. We're going to find out in spring training. And if he can't, you know, we'll see what the Tigers end up doing because they're going to have a tough call to make. I mean, that that's, it's an offensive upgrade. That's what it really comes down to. Do, Listen, do you want I, the offensive upgrade? If I'm, if I'm a Tigers fan, if I'm the Tigers, if I'm players on the Tigers, I, I want all the offense I can get. Well, I mean, there's one way for him to, to DH this year, and that is if the Tigers stink, they're going to deal Mark Canna at the trade deadline, and Jay, Jay Han will have lots of at-bats for himself. All right, we're going to talk about Erod's opt-out, but before we do that, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. All right, we're back. So, uh, no surprise to anyone, Eduardo Rodriguez opted out of his deal. Not a shock. You and I discussed this at length this week and, you know, got much more the feel that it was agent-driven in setting a deadline and talking early. And, you know, the entire thing just ends up being a debacle on both sides the way it was handled, just in the, only in the sense that they could have gotten assets in return for him. Harris botched that. Maybe his agent didn't do a great job in these last few days. Hard to blame Scott Harris. But, you know, give me, what you know, what's your thoughts about, you know, Erod opting out and where it goes? Yeah, I'll have more on this, you know, coming out of the GM meetings, but... Just kind of baseline is, yeah, not shocking at all was the expectation all the way along. You know, there was some, you know, thought that on Friday night, maybe the Tigers were negotiating a new deal with Eduardo Rodriguez. That came from John Morosi. And, and I had kind of done some poking around after I saw that report come out. And all I had really heard was that, you know, the Tigers knew his value. So take that with whatever it means. It doesn't sound like negotiating to me. That sounds like, you know, Erod's camp probably said, hey, this is what we're looking to get. I don't know if it was agent-driven, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but it sure seems that way just considering the fact that, you know, I didn't hear, yes, we are actively negotiating a new deal. I heard the Tigers, you know, they are aware of his value. 
that 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 was the kind of message that was sent to me. So again, kind of take that for what it is. I'm going to do some more digging on that and maybe have something else on that coming out of the GM meetings. But point is, is Eduardo Rodriguez did not re-up his, his deal with the Tigers. There was no negotiations that ended up going through if there were any negotiations to begin with. And on Saturday, he opted out, leaving $49 million over three years on the table in favor of becoming a free agent again. So yeah, not really a surprise. The Tigers have a couple other decisions um, to make, one in which they actually get to make, and then another which they're waiting to hear on, which is Javier Baez. He has an opt-out as well. The expectation is he is going to opt in. And then Carson Kelly has a $3.5 million club option. The Tigers get to decide whether or not to pick that up. Both of those are going to become official. However, they end up falling on Monday. So by the time folks are even listening to this podcast, that might already be out there. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens there. I, I think Erod, I mean, again, that was that was expected. Javier Baez opting in, that's expected. Carson Kelly, a little bit more up in the air. But again, I think they brought him in. They got him to learn their pitchers and they want him to keep working with them. Like I, I see him, you know, probably getting that team option picked up, but the Tigers get to make the choice on that one. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. Erod is Erod. The, the story is what it is. The Tigers didn't trade him at the deadline. He opts out of the contract. Tigers get nothing. You know, it it sucks for the Tigers from their standpoint, I think. At the same time, it kind of just is what it is. It is what it is. I think that got a lot of decent production out of them in two years. People are going to be mad. And my answer to you is, people, he was having a life crisis last year that was far bigger than baseball. If you want to be mad about that, you need to reevaluate where your priorities are in life. In the meantime... He gathered himself up and came back last year. He had a very solid year this year, and he probably would have had a great year had he not suffered a finger injury that obviously impacted his capacity to locate as precisely as he was prior to it. He had eight pretty solid starts after he came back, and he had eight pretty rocky starts after he came back, but he wasn't quite the same caliber of pitcher. But over the course of the year, he was pretty damn good. So I don't think there will be a lack of suitors for him. You know, places like Baltimore and New York Yankees, even Boston, just to name a few. I think St. Louis will have interest in him, probably the Giants. There'll be a lot of places that'll kick the tires on Eduardo Rodriguez. It's 150 innings of three-plus war baseball. He never is afraid, knows what he's doing, and he's valuable. He's going to get... And, and Mark, I do think, though, there is like a slim chance that maybe he does end up with the Tigers. And here's the way in which I think that could go down is if Eduardo Rodriguez has his number, and if his number is way too high, and if other teams don't want to meet it, I would be shocked if they don't. I think someone out there is going to notice his value as a number three, number four. He's stable. He's steady. He has the upside of a number one when he's right. Like, like there is enough there that teams are going to be willing to pay him. But let's just say that they don't. Let's just say that they say, yeah, you know, we're a little bit concerned because you blocked the trade to the Dodgers. Sure, you had your reasons, but you had a chance to go win a World Series and really help a team in the postseason. You didn't go do it. Okay, obviously he had off the field stuff that he had to go deal with in 2022. But what happens if some teams look at that 
hey, can we really trust that you're going to be around for a full season, right? He had the finger injury. He came back from that, and he wasn't sharp down the stretch. That could be another knock against him, too. And I'm not saying that these are reasons that we should knock Eduardo Rodriguez. I'm just saying that teams could look at those as negatives, right? And if they're not willing to meet that number, what happens if we get to the end of the spring training and, and Eduardo Rodriguez tells his agent, Gene Motto, yeah, you know, I really like pitching in Detroit. You know, is there any way that we can try to make something work with them? And it gets down to the end of the offseason. Spring training is getting started. Eduardo Rodriguez doesn't have a deal in place yet. It would take a lot, I think, for Gene Motto to go crawling back to the Tigers, but maybe he does. And, and that's kind of the only scenario in which I would see the Tigers you know, actually ending up with Eduardo Rodriguez on their roster for 2024. Again, highly unlikely, probably doesn't happen. I mean, like maybe a 1% chance, but, but that's about it. So for anybody speculating, oh, you know, the Tigers are going to enter this big bidding war for Eduardo Rodriguez, like I, I don't see it happening. Not, not with everything that's gone down. Not happening. They'll have the money spent on something else well before. That's true as well. It, it, I mean, they're going to have to it, prepare themselves to replace him. That's the thing is they're going to need another left-handed pitcher. You can't just roll with, you know, Scooble and then a bunch of righties. They're going to have to find a way to fix, to, to, to kind of, you know, bolster that rotation with another left-handed pitcher in there. So we'll see where they go. Again, that's another thing that I don't even want to get into this week. Cause I think we got to get to the GM meetings and really try to get a feel for, you know, what caliber of pitcher are the Tigers targeting to replace Eduardo Rodriguez? Could they go with a righty? Could they go with a righty heavy starting rotation? Do they need a lefty? If they need a lefty, you know, who might those options be? There are a few that are out there on the market right now. We'll see what else trickles out as, you know, some of these decisions are being made with opt-outs and, and team options that are going to be there accepted or declined. So I, I think there are still some things that could happen before we really get a chance to evaluate that market. But point is, they're going to need some help there. All right. So let's transition into discussing some things that you got a chance to spend some time with some of the prospects in the AFL, notably, you know, Jace Young, Justin Bigby, Howie Yu Lee, Wilmer Flores, Dylan Smith, Jackson Job had already gone home. So didn't get a chance to talk too much to Joe, but tell me what, if anything, you saw. You get a chance to see a lot of batting practice. You get to sit in a nice, relaxed environment and talk to people, find out about them, find out their process, and maybe they're working on a few things, which the AFL is famous for allowing young players to see different perspectives and work on a few things. So tell me what you saw. Yeah, first, just shout out to Jackson Joe for the performance um, before he went back home. He made four starts in the Arizona Fall League. He had a 2.87 ERA, five walks, 19 strikeouts, over 15 and two-thirds innings. I mean, it was everything that I wanted from him, you know, going into the Fall League, and, and he accomplished that, checked all those boxes. I'm excited to see him when spring training rolls around. As for the other guys, they're all still there. Jace Young, the big thing with him, and that's probably the biggest storyline of, of this fall league, both Jace Young and then, you know, how does Justice Bigby, you know, handle the fall league and, and you know, playing for so long, right? I mean, this Justice Bigby is a guy who, you know, went from high A to double A to triple A and now is in the fall league. I mean, it's been a crazy year for him. So seeing how he finishes and, and how he handles, you know, the grind of a long season, Jace Young kind of in the same boat, but not playing as much. He's more just playing to get his feet comfortable 
and, and get his hands comfortable at third base. The Tigers are making that transition with him. I do think a lot of that probably stems from the Colt Keith shoulder injury, knowing that Colt Keith might have to play more second base. Like, look, it's no surprise that Colt Keith started playing second base down the stretch to finish out the minor league season. And it's no surprise that now Jace Young has moved to Colt Keith's position at third base and the Tigers want to get him reps there. I think there's something to be said for, you know, defensive versatility and being able to play more than one position. But also, I just think it's interesting that, you know, coming off of the Colt Keith shoulder injury, the Tigers, you know, started to do these things. So who knows if that's really, you know, the reason we'll probably never know. But I do think that the timing of it is kind of fascinating. But yeah, watching Jason Young at third base, he looks like a guy who just started playing third base. Like he doesn't look very clean there. I don't think his range is, is very good. We'll see if the arm is going to be able to hold up, you know, making those throws across the diamond. You don't really get a ton of time to evaluate. Like I've, I only saw him play third base once. I got to see him make a couple plays, but even on a diving stop that he had, which I thought was impressive in and of itself, like he just didn't look very quick to the ball. It didn't look, he had, look like he had a great first step. So it's something that I know he really is looking forward to working on in the offseason. We know the bats there. The guy hit 28 home runs, you know, in the minor league season. So we know he's going to hit both for average and for power. I think the play discipline is pretty good. Now it's just, okay, what position is he going to play? Howie Lee, another infielder, second base. Got to see him a little bit. Good contact rates. We'll see what he is. I mean, he's so young. The Tigers got him in the Michael Lorenzen trade. But I do like the fact that he does make contact. He puts the ball in play, puts the ball in play hard. I think there is some power that's going to be able to develop. He talked a lot about, and he's from Taiwan. He talked a lot about the strike zone in Taiwan being bigger than it is um, in the United States. So he feels like that prepared him well to be you know, pretty selective with his approach. Yeah, I mean, he knows what he can hit. He tries to drive it. Uh, he's still such a young player, though. I mean, he hasn't played above the high A level. So there's still a lot to be you know, discovered there and, and, and figured out along the way. Justice Bigby, obviously a huge climb for him. Hits the ball to the right side of the field a ton. Want to see him get into more of that pull side power and see if he can unleash some of that. I think that's going to be huge for him at the upper levels. Like he's going to have to be able to hit high velocity and turn on it and, you know, and, and pull a ball. Like that's, that's what it comes down to for him. I think other than that, everything's pretty good aside from, you know, the defense in the outfield. I think that needs some work from what I've seen again, you know, it's, it's limited, you know, my evaluations of him, but it seems like pulling the ball and improving the outfield defense are, are the things that he can improve on. So those are the three position players. Everybody kind of seems like a first baseman with the Tigers. I had some conversations at the fall league and that one was brought up to me. It was like, you know, Jace Young, like where's his best position or his optimal position? Well, it's probably first base and maybe second base. I don't want to slight Jace Young, Jace Young too much, but Cole Keith, for example, right? Like where's his best position? Probably first base. Like Kerry Carpenter, where is he probably best at? First base. Justin Henry Malloy, where is he probably best at? That's probably first base. And then you have Spencer Torkelson, who's a below average first baseman playing first base. So it, it's it's kind of an interesting situation with the Tigers in terms of where these guys are all going to play. And I think they're going to run into some of those issues. But yeah, they're going to have to get it figured out. And I, maybe that's a, a, a knock on old player development and not getting those guys you know, developed at certain positions. Maybe that's just you know how they are and, and how they're always going to be. Who really knows about that? But yeah, those are the three position players that I saw. Jace Young, Justice Bigby, and, and how you leave. Well, I feel really encouraged that we have five first basemen down there that seem to swing the bat, but I am hoping that maybe player development can have the same impact on some of the defensive activity for a lot of these players that they've had developing pitching. So we'll cross our fingers and see if we can improve their defensive 
skill sets so that they can play something other than first base. I feel very confident that Spencer Torkelson is the first baseman of the Detroit Tigers for a long time. So if you plan on playing first base as your best defensive position, you either better figure out where you're probably going to play in another city or you're going to have to figure out another defensive position to play. I think Cole Keith hits the ball well enough and often enough that they will figure out something for him. I mean, look, Nicholas Castellanos is playing right field in the playoffs. He is still a subpar right fielder, but, you know, if you can bash at the major league level, you're going to play somewhere. So I'm not too worried about that. Uh, And I think Jace Young falls into the same category. Yeah, I agree. I think Jace Young, someone's going to play second, someone's going to play third. Wouldn't be surprised if someone played left field. Uh, You know, Riley could always move to right field, although I don't think it's his optimum position. So they'll they'll look if you if you're whacking, if you are hitting the baseball and a problem for other teams, they will figure out a spot for you. Or sometimes guys get better. I mean, Alec Baum was such a terrible third baseman for Philadelphia that even. You know, as of June 1st, they didn't know this year what they were going to do with him. And, you know, miraculously, he improved enough to be more than passable at third. He was actually pretty damn good in the playoffs. So So you're telling me, so you're telling me Malloy can improve then? I'm telling you there's a chance. I'm telling you that they did not expect Bomb to improve, but yeah, sure. I mean, if Justin Henry Malloy played adequate defense, he would likely be the favorite to start at third base. But I think they've seen about enough of him playing third to know that it would be not a very good idea in the major leagues yeah, it's, to play it's, Justin it's Henry Malloy at third. Yeah, he's, yeah so. he's not a third baseman. All right. You saw Wilmer Flores for a few minutes, starter or reliever? Yeah, that's the thing is like I saw both Wilmer Flores and Dylan Smith. And for Wilmer Flores, like, again, I again, I, I hate making like, I don't know, predictions like this because I've only seen these guys a handful of times. It's so hard to track them throughout the season. But when you do look at the stuff and you do look at the fact that he still doesn't really have a good changeup, yeah, probably a reliever. Like he really, really does look like a reliever. Possibly a really, really good reliever. I think the fastball will play up significantly coming out of the bullpen. The, the curveball is so, so, so good. He's got the slider. And that's pretty solid, too. But he doesn't have a changeup. And I think he's going to need the changeup if he wants to be a starter. He hasn't been able to develop it. I am not going to take anything away from what Gabe Rebus. I'm not going to take anything away from what Ryan Garko can do. I think there is a chance that he can develop into a starter. But right now, the way that it looks... He seems like a reliever. Dylan Smith, kind of the same way. Like the guy just gets hit hit around. Like he's got really, really good stuff, but for some reason he's getting hit. And I don't know if that means that they need to make a couple tweaks with him. I mean, he's had some injury risk in the past. It was, you know, it was the the, the arm fatigue and then it was arm soreness and then it was a forearm strain. And now he's back in, in pitching again. He's going to have to stay healthy first and foremost. That's the biggest thing. The stuff is really good, but I think at some point... He, it seems like the fastball has been getting hit a little bit and then maybe leaving too many you know, sliders up over the zone at times. But when those pitches are on, he's really good. So I, I'm leaning more starter with Dylan Smith right now, leaning more reliever with Wilmer Flores. But I think both pitchers are up in the air in terms of their role. And for Dylan Smith, like 
you just got to stay healthy. I think it would be well served if he was a reliever, but he's never stayed healthy enough to find out what the heck he is. So don't really have too much commentary about Dylan Smith. I've never loved much about anything. I always thought the hype superseded the productivity. There's a million guys in the minor leagues. They have good stuff that don't amount to much of anything. So that's my two cents about that one. All right, we're going to take our last break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about what you think you're going to see at the GM meetings. We'll be back in a second. All right, so got the GM meetings. You think we'll see any deals and, you know, you got any feel for the idea of anything that might happen here? Does it usually happen pretty much after the meetings leading into the winter meetings? Yeah, so GM meetings kind of kick off on Monday, but they really kick off on Tuesday here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, free agency is going to begin. Like that's really going to get started on Monday. So essentially, you know, up from the World Series until Monday, you know, players that were free agents, guys like a, you know, Matthew Boyd or Jose Cisnero, right, for the Tigers. While they aren't having these conversations, it doesn't seem like, you know, players like them, they can only negotiate with the Tigers, you know, during this so-called quiet period. And then on Monday, everything changes and you can just negotiate with everybody. Now, that doesn't mean that free agents are going to actually start signing with new clubs immediately, but it basically means that, you know, things are going to be in Scottsdale because they can talk to all the teams at this point. And there's going to be a ton of dialogue, you know, for agents and for teams to kind of have, you know, these initial conversations to set the foundation for the rest of the offseason. So sure, there could be someone that strikes a deal that that could happen. But in all reality, it probably isn't going to happen. We're going to see a lot more activity at the winter meetings. Another thing that's really important when it comes down to and the Tigers already kind of touched on some of this with the trade of from Mark Hanna, but GM meetings is really good for, you know, GMs and president of baseball operations to kind of have conversations. Some of it's about the rules. Some of it's about things in the game. But they also talk about, you know, what are their needs for the season? What are the needs? Who are some players that, you know, teams could be shopping? This is where Scott Harris could maybe come to the table and say, hey, look, maybe it's Akil Badu. Maybe it's Matt Manning. Maybe it's a Bo Brisky, you know, just throwing out some names that could be potential trade candidates. This is where he would be able to go and kind of present, hey, look, these are some of the guys that I have on the trade block. This is kind of what I'm looking to get back. I don't think the Tigers are done making trades. I think the Tigers are going to be active on the trade market. We had kind of touched on that before, just with the fact that the, the free agency isn't great. Like there aren't a ton of options um, for offensive help. I think that, you know, it would be probably wise of them to go and uh, make a trade for a shortstop if they could. Not a shortstop to play now, but a shortstop to play in a few years if they could maybe leverage a deal for that. If they do want to cut ties with Javier Baez at some point, then they could have a shortstop ready to go and and in place. I think that could be a a smart move. But again, this is where the groundwork for all that stuff gets laid. And you never know. Like there is a chance that the Tigers can make a trade at the GM meetings. I don't see them signing anybody um, from free agency, but you can never rule out a trade, right? You can never rule out a trade. So that that's really kind of what the GM meetings are all about. It's just a really good way for everybody to kind of reconnect and set their plans for the off season. And uh, Scott Harris is going to talk on Tuesday. So he's going to get a chance to uh, chat with reporters, myself included about the plan for the off season and how they want to move forward. We'll see what he says there. I'm very fascinated to hear, you know, exactly how he wants to upgrade the team, specifically, you know, the starting rotation now with the loss of Eduardo Rodriguez. 
And if there's any way that he feels like they can upgrade the lineup, or if maybe he wants to just stand pat, I don't think he's going to come out and say he wants to stand pat, but I do. I am very interested to see kind of the words in which he uses, you know, when he's asked about those type of things. I think those words will be telling. Well, you know, if history is any indicator of the future, he won't have a lot to say. You know, I think we understand the kind of player that Scott likes. I think I've been pretty blunt about the idea. If you're afraid to take risk, if you're afraid to be great, you probably won't ever be great. So I think Tigers need to get a little bit more aggressive in what they're doing. I think the possibility exists that this could become an interesting season with a little bit of luck and a shrewd move or two. Uh, I'll be fascinated to see what they do. Also, this at these meetings, I'll be curious because they do discuss rules at these meetings, do they not? And I'll be interested to hear what they have to say about whether they're going to implement the challenge system or the ABS system anytime soon. It's something I like to talk about. We, you know, we talked about it with uh, Dan Dickerson. We've talked about it with Mike Fearon. You and I have discussed it. It's one of the last bastions of rule changes that I think we'll see in the near term. I would expect we will hear some things about it. We will hear some commentary and, you know, get some feelings from the GMs about how the rule changes went this year. You saw a lot more stolen bases, a lot faster games, or people think, who think that uh, the game was pretty impacted by the pitch clock in good ways and other ways. But I'll be interested to see what, what comes out of these GM meetings. You know, there's lots of topics to cover and, and, and things to do. There's teams in transition and there's not too many interesting free agents. So trades are going to be a primary thing in this offseason. So, yeah, uh, I mean, Mark, even on a national scale, too, though, right? Like there's going to be a lot of conversation about, you know, what happens to Shohei Otani, right? Like, where does he go? You know, there are two pitchers from Japan, Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Shota Imanaga. Those are two guys that everyone's wondering, okay, like where where are those guys going to end up? Because they're going to factor in. You also look at starting pitching market on free agency, right? Like there are so many options there. You have Blake Snell, you have Aaron Nola, Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery, Lucas Giolito, Jack Flaherty. Obviously now Erod has joined that mix. So then you add in the Japanese pitchers and it's like, okay, that's a nice crop of pitchers to choose from. Maybe the Tigers could go out and get one of those guys. They're going to have to pay a little bit for them, but they could obviously make a huge difference in a rotation. And then there's the conversation too, and this is where the trade market comes into play. I mean, there really aren't many bats, right? Like we kind of had this conversation last time too. Okay, Cody Bellinger, J.D. Martinez, Matt Chapman, Jorge Soler, Jamer Candelario. But aside from that, like there aren't a ton of, t- there aren't a ton of you know, bats out there that are going to generate you know, league-wide type interest from teams that need help in those certain areas. So that's going to be a big talking point too. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see kind of how all this goes down. Obviously every team has their own storylines, but those are just some of the national storylines that really stand out. As for the Tigers, I don't think they're going to be in the mix for Shohei Otani. And I do not believe they are going to be in the mix for Yoshinobu Yamamoto. So those are two guys I just want to like cross off the list already, just from people that I've talked to. I would not expect Otani or Yamamoto to be wearing the old English D next year. Now, you have mentioned to me you do like Imanaga. So if you can, or if you're fluent in 
what type of pitcher or some specifics about him. If there's anything you want to share, go for it now. Actually do have quite a bit of information. You're going to have to read that on freak.com coming out of the GM meetings. I should have some good stuff both on Yamamoto and Imanaga, but Imanaga being more of a potential fit for the Tigers. The point is, is just to kind of cover it, you know, generally speaking, he's a left-hander. He's got, you know, great command and his fastball, it's like low 90s, but it plays up because it has a high spin rate. That's kind of the, the quick takeaway. But there's going to be a lot more that I'll be able to dig into. So freep.com after the GM meetings. All right. We have to watch for that. I know you got a few things. So you're going to talk to Scott. You got a few player profiles of players they may have some interest in. I hope they also maybe take a look at Ronaldo Lopez for the bullpen. I'd like to see if we could add or see them add another leverage reliever. There are others. I'd also think they should explore the trade market for that. I saw Hector Neris was also declared free agency. You know, people are split on his value, but he's pitched a lot of playoff innings the last few years, to say the least. So, you know, there are there are some options, and the Tigers could use another leverage reliever. All right, so we have a lot to look forward to this week while you're getting a suntan. And I do know that you'll be coming home this week and have to leave the beautiful, sunny, uh, fun location of Scottsdale, Arizona. But I do want to remind everybody to please rate, subscribe, and comment if you can. We're going to keep doing this pretty much every week unless we decide to take a week off at some point in time before the end of the year, but we'll see how that goes. And I wanted to thank our executive producers, Kirk Crawford and Anjanette Delgado. As always, I want to give a shout out to my grandson, Braden Michael Gorosh, who went bowling for the first time at two years old, just like I used to take his father, uh, which was pretty cute. He sent me some videos. And from a partner, Evan Petzl, not getting a suntan right now because it is night, but will be tomorrow. I'd like to remind everybody, go in peace. Peace.